Can we give a hand for our worship team and Ryan, the whole team, for bringing spirit-filled worship, but also, also, I love it when they set up our series, man. Thank you, guys. Y'all are awesome. Well, I wonder, I don't know if you can relate to, uh, if you can relate to back the early 2000s and that song came out, like there were so many broken hearts uh, listening to that on the radio, Right? Because none of us have ever been there where we're holding on to something, some girl that doesn't really want anything to be around us or anything, or some dude who doesn't want us to just hang on to them, but we've hung on to, to them, and it just seems like we're getting drug around. You're hanging 10 feet off the ground, right? And it's just, it's just like the thing that you look at and you're like holding on to, like, that's what I want. That's what's familiar. I'm going to hang on to that. Whether it's a girlfriend, a, a boyfriend, or, or a job. Or, or maybe I'm going to be honest, like what about you're holding on to God that way? Maybe you've been going and you've been like, all right, God, like life's a mess right now. I'm going to go around. I'm going to check out some churches because maybe, because that's where you go when you're checking out like what God has. And you go to some churches and you've been kind of kicked around. You're holding on to them and you're like, this is what God says I'm supposed to do. But it feels like you're just dangling off the ground. You can never live up to the expectations that are being laid out there. Y'all ever noticed, like, and this is like, I'm talking to myself also, but like how we as Christians, we can make it really hard for somebody to get to know Jesus. We're not always helpful. We're not always loving. We're not always kind. We often put things in the way of getting to know the one who saved our lives. If you're here today and you're like, man, my life's a mess. I'm going to come in, check out this place that meets in an event center because maybe they won't pick on me. I want you to know you're like, you're in the the right place because, man, we all got a mess here. We welcome your mess. We're glad that you're here. I think it's on purpose that you're here, in fact, because we're starting a new series today. It's called No Offense because we've, we've noticed something. Maybe you've noticed this too, but the world that we live in, people out there, man, they are really quick to get angry. You can't say that. I'm going to ruin your life because you said that. You can't do that because we both know that's wrong and, and we get so angry at things. Like, have you noticed? Maybe it's just me. Or maybe if, if I'm talking about myself here, have you ever noticed? I'm going to go one step further. Have you ever noticed that we as followers of Jesus, we're often the first ones on the offense bus driving full steam ahead? Do you ever notice that? Well, I ask myself often, like, why in the world would we do that? And I think we come by it honestly. I'm going to try to give us some credit here. We come by it honestly. I think we're saved by Jesus. We experience his grace. And then we see the things in our lives that, like, Jesus says, like, you need to root this out. And so we do that for ourselves. And then we look around like, oh, I want to help people. I know what God hates. God hates sin. So, so, so you go around, you're like, hey, hey, culture, that's sin. You got to stop that. God hates that. God hates that. You got to stop it. And we just come after people because we want to help. I believe that, right? However, I'm going to be honest today. We often just fall flat into what the culture does. And then we stop the culture <laughs> from getting the antidote to that, which is Jesus. And so this series, we're going to be talking about the culture that we live in that is so quick to be angry and offended and mad and want to cancel you. But we're also going to talk about what what Jesus says, that we as followers of his, of him, his followers, what's our response to be supposed to be? 
to a world that is stuck in this trap of offense. And so uh, Daryl and I read a book about six years ago called Unoffendable. Great book. Uh, And this book has helped shape this church and how we go about our ministry and what's important to us. Right now, this this book we're using this for the series, and many series have been done about it. Like we're nothing special, but I believe God's going to do an awesome thing through this. I want to be honest. If you're a book reader and you go get this and you read it, like email me. I'd love to grab lunch with you and hear your thoughts on the book because I'll be honest, it challenged me a lot, and and I hope that it does you as well. So what you should always ask when you come into a church and they start talking to you for 35 minutes or 45, like last service. Sorry guys, uh, but what you should ask is why in the world does this matter? You should ask that. And I've got two things for you. One, okay. Some of my friends are like, he's about to get excited. Okay. I'm getting excited. Guess what happens in just about six months? Guess what happens? Y'all, we are going to be in our building in about six stinking months. Absolutely. I'm a little excited about that. Steel started going up uh, at, the, at the pad last week. Our curbs went in last week. Our asphalt, the first layer is going to be put in the week after next. Y'all, they're getting ready to lay the lawn, the whole eight acres of front lawn where we're going to do life together. They're getting ready to start growing that stuff. Man, it's going to be awesome. I'm excited about a building. That's number, number one. Number two, why, I'm, why this matters Because in about six months' time, we're going to have a grand opening of this building. And we're going to feel like a real church all of a sudden because we got a real building, right? Someday I'll be a real boy. Like, that's what we're going to feel like. We're going to feel like, oh, man, we've arrived. But here's what's going to happen. People, people, not you, not me, our friends, our neighbors, people just in the area, they're going to come and they're going to be like, hey, why did these people invest so much into this? What are they about The problem is more churches, more Christians are known more for what they are against than what they are about. We are a church patterned after Jesus, but hear me on this. We are real people, real problems serving a real Jesus. We are unpolished, yes, but you will always know what we are about And that is Jesus, that is his word that speaks to us, his spirit that fills us and his Holy Spirit that radically changed my life. It radically changed your lives and it has the power to radically change the lives of those around us. That's what we are about. And that's gonna make us look different because people are gonna be, we're we're gonna be known much less for what we are against because God's truths are out there, but we're gonna be known less for that. We're gonna be known more. We're gonna look different because we're gonna focus on the one thing and that is Jesus and he has the ability to change lives. And so this book, Unoffendable, it's challenged, it's challenged me. It's challenged me to lead out with grace, truth, yes, but I let Jesus handle the truth part, I handle the grace part, and then I let Jesus handle the carrying of people's sins. Because guess what? I don't know, maybe you were there, you lived a sinless life, you were crucified for my sins, you weren't. You weren't there, I wasn't there. I can barely carry the problems for today. I can't carry my sins. Jesus did that, and we're gonna let him carry the sins of the world, not us. Our job's gonna be to point people to him. And so here's what's gonna happen. This is a five-week series, and I want y'all, every last one of y'all, I'm gonna come find you if you don't show up every week because this series has the opportunity 
to change your outlook and to totally expand how you can have an impact for the kingdom in this world. So I want you to be here every one of these five weeks. But I'm gonna warn you, some things that we talk about, they're gonna hurt your feelings a little bit. It did me. When I read the book, it's like, oh man, I thought I had it all figured out. I don't, but that's okay. Because our goal is to look at the things that offend us and get over them. Allow them not to trap us and to hold us back. So I want you to be here every week of this series. And as we start opening ourselves up for this, I wanna open this up in prayer so that the Holy Spirit would come in and speak to each and every one of us. So right here in the room, I want you to bow your head online, join me in prayer. Jesus, I start off now, God, and I call you and I say, thank you, Lord, for saving me, for your grace that covers me, your grace that, that covers all the things that I have ever done wrong. And God, it's also your grace that draws me to you and draws me to want more people to know you so they can experience what I have experienced. So God, do a work in this church here today so that we would be ready, not for a building, but for people to come to know you, not us, you. God, so Holy Spirit, come work in us today. We ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Now, I want to start out today in your, in your Bibles in James chapter 1. This is the passage that's going to kind of frame uh, much of the series here today. But James chapter 1, verses 19 through 20. I'm going to read it for you here. I believe it's going to be up on the screens. It says this, Understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Now, James is kind of a big deal. He was Jesus's brother, spent many years with Jesus, knew how he operated, knew the things he did. And here he is giving lessons or instructions about, for, about us, about how we go about our daily lives as followers of Jesus. He says, you should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are not many people who are quick to listen, there are people who are very quick to speak and people who are even lightning fast at becoming angry, right? And I fully believe that one of Satan's tactics that he loves to trap us in is offense. And I think it is one of his biggest tools and it's often his most hidden weapon that he uses against us. And why? It's because it is impossible to keep from being offended. That may have offended you. But hear me say this, this is not just Dave's opinion. It is impossible to keep from being offended. Think about it, right? Let's just go back this past week. Don't even go back a month. Go back this past week. You were scrolling on social media and one thing in the time it took you to slide through the screen, you read enough of it to get mad at it, right? You happened to accidentally click on the other news source you don't tend to agree with and you got mad at it. Like we get easily offended pretty quickly. Going down the Lloyd Expressway and you've got, so the left-hand lane is for winners, okay? So if you're not one of those and you don't, like shouldn't be in the left-hand lane, like it's gonna be, you're gonna be frustrated, you're gonna get offended when someone's over there that shouldn't be, right? It's pretty easy to get offended. It's impossible for offense not to come. You know this and I know this, but hear this from Jesus speaking to his followers, his disciples in Luke chapter 17. He says, then he said to his disciples, it is impossible that no offense should come. It is impossible that no offense should come. Other translations say, hey, it's bound to happen. It's going to happen, right? 
Now that translation, that verse is often translated a little bit different. So I went and I was looking at the original Greek of it because it makes me feel smart. But I looked and I noticed that the word we translate as offense can be taken uh, different ways. But it's, it's the word scandalon. Say that with me. Scandalon. That word is, is a word picture, not just like a word. Scandalon means offense. Scandalon means the bait that triggers a trap to close when an animal touches it. Bait, trap, snap. That's the definition. That's the picture you should have in your mind. And so let me ask you this. Like you think about it. Why do you set a trap? Why in the world do we as people set traps, right? Primarily really like two reasons. Like you want to catch something or you want to kill it. Let's put that to Jesus talking here. Why would Satan set a trap for us? Because he either wants to trap you or he wants to kill you. I fully believe that one of Satan's best taxes, tactics is getting us trapped by a fence, either caging us, holding us here to where we can't go towards the goodness and the future and the plans that God has for us or to kill us right there on the spot and make us ineffective, take us out of the game. Now, to, to help, this, help you with this, I, I started thinking about the different kind of traps that we have in our lives. Because we all, we all know traps, right? And I'm going to be honest, this one is from our office. Because I cut myself on the one I was practicing with yesterday and decided I wasn't going to use it. This was from our office. And no joke, I went in this morning very early, went to pick it up. There was a dead mouse in it, right? You're welcome because I was going to bring the mouse. <laughs> but I couldn't show you how it works. Mouse goes in. This happened this morning. It sets off. Take the bait, kills the mouse, right? Okay. We have ant traps. Ant traps. Ant goes in. Ant takes bait. Ant takes bait back to colony, kills ant colony. Good for us, bad for ant colony, right? We all agree? Right. Okay. Now, maybe some of you are still scarred from this, from first grade, okay? Maybe somebody walked up to you and they're like, hey, put your finger over here. Put your finger over here. You held it and you're like, ha, I'm never going to get married. No girl's going to like me if I'm stuck like this. You, were, you still have nightmares about this. Be honest, right? Maybe that's just me because, okay, I can get out of it. All right. So that's, that's those kind of traps. That's to trap you. Now, this one is a raccoon trap. This is from the Bowersock household. And honestly, this is going to get employed tonight because apparently Sandy says that me running out and chasing the raccoons in my boxers and crocs is no longer effective nor appropriate. <laughs> so bait goes here, right? Raccoon goes in and what, is, what happens to raccoon? Raccoon gets trapped, right? Now, those are pretty cool. I want to think about this one. This one is technically a coyote trap because as I found out, bear traps are both illegal and dangerous. And so I have a coyote trap. I am a trained professional, I think. And I'll be honest, I did want, I did want like the big bear trap from Elmer Fudd cartoons with the big jaws and just like, like I wanted one of those, but I didn't want to lose my arm or get arrested. So we went with this one. It's gonna do the trick. So here's the thing. The bait goes down on this plate. Coyote comes up and uses his paw or hopefully his, maybe his snout because you'll see how it goes here in a second. But takes the bait. Yeah, you feel that. Like, doesn't matter how strong that coyote is. 
Doesn't matter how smart or how important to the pack he or she is, ain't going anywhere. One of the things that is important about these traps is you stake it to the ground. And so no matter what the coyote does, guess where it's not going, where it wants to go. It's hurt and it's stuck. Can you kind of see why Jesus was saying an offense, a trap? Can you see how maybe this is something that Satan would love to employ? Can you see why it's so destructive? If you hold on to an offense, if you get stuck in that, not only are you going to be hurt, but the jaws that are on there are going to sink into your heart, into your soul. It may be the jaws of bitterness. We're going to talk about that in a few weeks with Pastor Chris. But the jaws are going to come in. They're going to clamp. And guess what? You're going to be hurt and you're going to be stuck there. You're either going to be caged or you're going to be dead and out of the game. If you take that bait. But here's the thing that Jesus says that I love. You don't have to take the offense and hold on to it. You can let go of offense because God has a plan for you. When you don't take the offense, you get to see that God's plan for your future is too big to let an offense trap you, let an offense hold you in your past. John 14, 12, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done. No, you will do even greater works than I have. God has big things planned for you that require you not to be stuck back in the past. So we're going to spend some time today, I hope kind of simply, looking at how we avoid offense. Now here's the thing. I said it's impossible <laughs> to avoid offense. Jesus said that. However, we don't have to stay there. So here's the thing. Think about all the small ways that you've been offended just in the past week. We talked about that. Social media, coworker. Let me, I actually want to bring this home. I want to bring this to the household. And just because I think this is applicable in a way that it sneaks in. Husbands, you had a long day at work. You come home. Maybe you mow the lawn. You decide, you know what, tonight I'm even going to take a shower. I'm not going to bed dirty. I'm going to take a shower. And you lay down next to her. She's laying there reading a book. And you kind of put your head up there and you're like, you say something smooth. You're like, hey, girl, those PJs, they never look better on you. And sometimes what happens? She rolls over and says, sweetie, I'm so tired. I got work in the morning. Not every time. If that happens every time, we need to talk. However, what happens in that moment? That offense, kind of, you feel it if you hold on to it. Let's, let's go for the wives. Like you come in and you, you know what? You've had a long day. You've been grabbed on by little kids. They, you drag them around. You want an adult conversation, right? You want to, to talk to an adult about adult, big boy, big girl things. And, and you want to share your heart. You want to hear the heart of your husband. You want to know what is inside of his heart. And you sit down next to him and you see that his heart is zombified and cold and stuck to week two of the NFL, and cue offense, right? Now, I'm not stopping there. I'm coming for everybody. This, these five weeks are coming for everybody. Singles, you ever been there, right? Like you're dating somebody and it's going well. You're loving it. And then whoosh, crickets, ghosted, oof. Or worse, have you, like I, I had this happen when I was single, right? Like people came up to me like, why don't you have a girlfriend? And I'm like, why are you asking this stupid question? Why, why don't you? 
why don't you go put your face in a bear trap? <laughs> Cue offense. Parents, we get mad when our kids don't get a fair shake with their teacher, with their coach. I could keep going because the opportunities for offense are endless. It's a simple playbook from Satan, but man, he uses it day in and day out. And here's the thing. Avoiding an offense is impossible, but living offended is a choice. I'm a Proverbs guy. For those of you new to the Bible, like Proverbs, Old Testament book has 31 chapters. You can read one a day. It's awesome. Here's the thing. Tomorrow's proverb, Proverb 19, has a great chunk of wisdom in there. It says, a person wis person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. That word overlook means step over the trap of offense. Let's go back to the words of James. We're going to read this again. It says, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to get angry. That sounds like wisdom and patience. Not human anger. Not offense. Not stuck in this thing that you're never getting away from. Stepping over this is what yields God's righteousness. We often feel that our anger produces God's righteousness. God's like, a boy, you know what I'm mad at. You know I hate the sin, so here you go. Take up my cause. Go after it, big boy. Sometimes we should. I argue it's much less often than we think. Because here's the thing. We're going to get mad at sin, absolutely. But we often, when we're in that state of righteous anger, we get mad at someone else's sin and never our sin. And it turns into self-righteous anger. And the problem is, it's a very fine line between the two. I'm not saying God's not mad at sin and sometimes we don't call it out. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it's so fine of a line. We're trusting our flesh to handle the righteousness and the anger of God. And my flesh, I don't know about y'all, but my flesh is weak. And so we have to end up making a choice as followers of Jesus. We have to make a decision. Do we want to live right, offended, angry, trapped? Or better yet, let's ask this question. Do you want to make a point or do you want to make a difference? Because all too often we want to make a point. I'm in that camp. Just ask Sandy, ask Daryl. I love it when I'm right. It's not as often as I want it to be, I'll be honest, but I love it when I'm right. But often it's the expense of making a difference. And so if we, wanna, if we truly want to have a, an impact on the culture of this world, we want to change it for good, we have to change our attitude and we have to handle, we have to allow God to handle his righteousness and Jesus to handle his righteousness. And we, we lead out, not just on winning an argument, we are going to win people to the grace and the goodness of God. And we're going to allow Jesus to speak into them from there. Jesus said, like, you don't have to be right, but you have to be loving. Matthew 22, Jesus is answering a person of the law, a person from the church who knew very well the laws and what God had said. Very sharp guy. And the guy says, hey, Jesus, what's the most important of all of those things? And Jesus says this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your mind. 
This is the first and the greatest commandments and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do you wanna make a point or do you wanna make a difference? More often than not, hearts are not changed by great arguments, great debates, accusations. They're changed by empathy, experiencing God's grace. Because here's the thing, I got really strong opinions, but more than likely my strong opinion about life and the peripheral issues is not gonna win you to Jesus. And what keeps me up at night is the fact that maybe my opinions have gotten in the way of me loving my neighbor and maybe gotten in the way of them experiencing and knowing Jesus because of my opinions. Satan wants us to, <laughs> he wants us to live offended. He wants us to live stuck because when we're angry, when we take that bait and we let anger, disappointment, maybe very real hurt, maybe something was really done to you, that happens, right? But maybe that was done to you and you're stuck there because you're trapped by it. You're staked to the ground next to that thing that died in your life. And Satan's like, no, I want you to stay there. But let me ask you this, do we, do we stay where Satan tells us to stay? Heck no, we do not. So I've got a few, two quick things that I think are easy to comprehend, hard to do. But I think when we do these, we will be people who are changed for Jesus. The first is this, lower your expectations of others. It's like my dad said when I was dating in high school, lower your expectations, Dave. <laughs> okay, you guys, man, I tell you what, I so thought that joke was funnier, but Sandy was in the first service and she's like, wait a minute. What does that, what does that mean? I know, no, it's like, I like, no, I, I wasn't trying to be mean to Sandy. I love my wife. She's awesome. And she, she forgave me after service. Okay. But here's the thing. When you lower your expectations, guess what happens? Let me tell you what's going to happen. And, and we're going to come back to it. So here's what's going to happen. Someone's going to lie to you. Somebody's gonna let you down. Somebody's going to not show up when they were supposed to. Somebody's gonna show up when they weren't supposed to. Somebody's not gonna say thank you for that thing you went out of your way to do. Somebody's going to forget your birthday. Josh, I'm sorry. I love you. It's going to happen. But let me ask you this. What did you expect? You wanna know what people are like? Let me tell you what God says people are like. This is from Paul to his student, Timothy. He says, they will be unloving, unforgiving. They will slander others. They will have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride. They're gonna love pleasure rather than God. And for some reason, we're shocked when our best bro steals our best joke at the party and gets all the laughs. What'd you expect? What do you expect when you go into the restroom and you see an empty cardboard roll? And if you don't think that's a sin, you never sat there. <laughs> what do you expect imperfect people to do? We are all sinners. It'd be like walking into an AA meeting and going, oh, alcoholics? You're, you're like in Sinners Anonymous here, okay? Like, hey, Hey, my name's Dave. I'm a sinner. Hi, Dave. Like, no, like, welcome. If you're sinful, like, if you're broken, so are we, right? What did you expect? What happens is sinful people aren't perfect and they do imperfect things. So when we lower our expectations, 
we become more like Jesus. Because here's the crazy thing. Jesus was never like shocked by sin. He didn't walk up on the woman at the well who had five husbands and, you know, shacking up with the other and be like, oh, no, he offered her hope. When Peter is like, dude, I'm, I got your back the, all the way, man. We're going to ride or die, man. I'm with you the whole way. And Jesus is like, yeah, sure thing, Peter. No, Peter's like, no, 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 I'm going, I'm going down with you. And then what happened? Peter bailed on him. He's like, I never knew that guy. He stabbed him in the back. He lied to him and he abandoned him. What did Jesus do? Did he like go on some Facebook rant and be like, I'm leaving this. Everybody hates me. No. He forgave Peter. Remember I said he's got purposes for us? He forgave Peter and he said, you've got a bigger plan than being stuck back on what hurt you and what hurt me. You've got a bigger plan. I've got a purpose for you. I need you to care for my people. Now go do it. Jesus wasn't shocked by things and we shouldn't either. So how can we get over being easily offended? We can lower our expectations because we're all sinners. We all mess up. If you expect people to let you down, you're not surprised when they do. The second thing is you need to raise your gratefulness for God's grace. So I, I did this first service. It didn't work out that well, but I would love you to raise your hands if you've never sinned. Okay, it didn't work out here either. I was hoping to meet somebody. Maybe online, maybe online somebody who's never lied, never let anybody down, never done the thing with the toilet paper. We've all fallen short, every last one of us. How is it that we're made right with God? One of my favorite verses in all scripture is Ephesians chapter two. Paul says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from where? From God. Not by works so that no one can boast. It's by the grace of God. It's by the goodness of God. It's by the fact that, that God left heaven, came to earth in the form of a, of a boy, lived a sinless life, and then he took all of my past sins I've done, all the sins I'm going to do today and all the sins I'm going to do the rest of my life and all of your sins to the cross. And I wasn't there. I hadn't earned it. But because of his grace, he did that for us. When you remember what you've been forgiven of, you can forgive anything. One of my favorite stories of this uh, comes from a woman named Corey Tenboom. Phenomenal story. If you've ever heard her story, she was uh, from Holland in World War II. Her and her family rescued many Jews from the Holocaust. However, her family was caught and put in concentration camps. And uh, I believe all of them but her passed away. But she, she did an interview when she was 80 years old. And I want to share I want to share what she said during that interview. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him. A balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat. A brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I had spoken, moving along the rows of wooden chairs to the door at the rear. It was 1947 and I had come from Holland to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives 
It was the truth they most needed to hear in that bitter, bombed out land. And, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind, I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God cast them into the deepest ocean gone forever. And the solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never any questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, collected their wraps, and in silence they left the room. And that's when I saw him, working his way towards me against the others. One moment I saw an overcoat and a brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with skull and crossbones. Oh, I came back in a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes at the center of the floor. The shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me. Oh, Betsy, you look so thin. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland, and this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. And now he was in front of me with his hand stretched out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you say, all our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocketbook rather than take his hand. He wouldn't remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among a thousand women? But I remembered him. His leather crop swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there. He didn't remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did there. But I would, I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. And again, the hand, it came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins every day had to be forgiven, and I couldn't. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it, I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have sinned against us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience. See, since the end of the war, I had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able to also return to the outside world and rebuild their lives. No. And as I stood there 
with the coldness clutching my heart, but forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me. I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much, but would you supply the feeling? And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. This current had started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joint hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my entire being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. Oh, how I wish I could say that. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. And here's one thing I've learned in 80 years of age. It's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God every day. Maybe I'm glad it's that way. For every time I go to him, he teaches me something new. There are a lot of injustices in this world. There are a lot of things that break the very heart of God and ought to break our hearts. But for us to hurt people in, in the name of righteous anger, being stuck chained to the ground where Satan wants us and, and, and not to be able to move forward in the purpose and the forgiveness and the grace of God is to let Satan win the day. I don't know what's happened to you. I don't know what, has, what hurt has been done to you, what sin is in your life or what sin has been done to you. But just hear me this, if it's holding you back, we have to step over it. I love how she said, the people who forgave their captors went on to live a purposeful life. But those who held on and were stuck in a fence remained invalids. I don't ever want to hold anyone back, but I definitely don't want to be held back and be ineffective for God. And therefore, the hard part for me and for everybody in this room, we have to work. We have to work to not be people of offense, but people of Jesus' grace. My goal in life is, isn't to be right, even though I like it. Uh, you know, it's not to convince you of my views on other issues. My goal in life is to point you to the one who changed my life. And that is Jesus. God has a big plan for our future, for your future, for this church's future, for this community's future. But we have to lead out with the love of God. And that means we have to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to be angry. We don't think less of others, but we think rightly of others and we lower our expectations 
and rely on the good grace of a great God. Would you join me in prayer? Jesus, first of all, I fall at your feet and I'm thankful for the fact that you have forgiven uh, my sins, God. You forgave me when I wasn't worth saving, God, and I know you've done that for countless people. And God, I am sorry for the times when my opinions, my, my desire to be right has gotten in the way of someone knowing who you are, of someone coming to the, the saving knowledge, the fact that you can save and forgive anything if we would come to you first. And I'm sorry for that, but God, I know that everyone in the sound of my voice, God, we want others to know you. We want people to be changed by you, not by me. It's not my job to carry people's sins, God. It's my job to point, to point people to you so that you can carry their sins. And God, help us to remember that people are not messiahs, but we absolutely need you, our Messiah, our Savior. Help us to love so well that people look at us and say, man, they're different. And they're about this Jesus guy. God, help us to always lift your name high and not the hill's name. God, we're building a building, but it is not for a building's sake. It is for your sake because we want other people to know you. And God, challenge us, challenge us, challenge us to put you first. God, we love you. I can't wait to see what you're going to do in our midst. I know what you've done in my life, and I'm excited to see you work. And God, we ask all these things in the wonderful, the gracious, the powerful name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.